0: All right, well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, then turn to them to Luke chapter 11, if you would, which is page 1,476 in the Reformed Study Bible, which I'm going to state again uh, this week as I did last week, is our official Rio Bible. It is not the only study Bible. It may not even be the best, but we think it is, and it most accurately reflects kind of who we are theologically. So if you don't have one, we really want you to get one. And we have made it as affordable as it needs for you to be to get one. Hint, hint. And you can get one at the information center afterwards. And seriously, begin to develop the practice of bringing it. And we're going to start turning the lights up a bit more so you can actually read it then too. We think that would be helpful. But if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, then turn to Luke chapter 11 as we continue with a series of messages that we started last week, and that we're calling God's Word and prayer, and in which we're simply coming to God and saying, hey God, what does your Word have to say about this fundamental and basic practice of following Jesus that we call prayer? And Lord, we want to tell you on the front end why we're interested. We're interested because we want to live that way. We're interested because we want to take that teaching... And by the power of your Spirit, begin to live it out in each one of our lives. Our goal this year as a church is to know the Word and to live the Word. And so, we're just coming to the Word and prayer and saying, okay, what does the Word say so that we can live it? And last week, we started to answer that question, and we saw a number of different things. We came to our Lord Himself, and we said, all right, talk to us. And what did He say? He told us, first of all, that we are to pray. When Jesus talks about prayer, he prefaces the whole conversation with the words and, and then here it is, when you pray. He doesn't say and if you pray. He says and when you pray. So he's assuming that you and I are praying. Prayer is a mandatory exercise of a follower of Christ. And we had to stop last week and have a little honest moment with ourselves and God and say, all right, it's not and when you, or it is and when you pray and it's not and if you pray. But which one of those two phrases most accurately describes me? Am I an and-when-you-pray guy, or am I an and-if-you-pray guy? He's calling us to prayer, so we learned that we are to pray. And then secondly, we talked a little bit about where to pray. So where is that? Well, that's what I asked you to figure out last week. It is some place where you can be alone with the Lord your God. No people, no cell phones, no distractions. That might be in your car, on the beach. That might be in your office. It might be in your bedroom. It may literally be in a closet. That's the word that Jesus used. Go into a closet where your Father, who is in secret, here's what you say in secret... But the idea is that you and I, all of us, need to find a place where we will not be tempted to focus upon or to talk to anyone or anything other than the Lord our God. And just to be clear, that does not mean that we can't pray anywhere else. In fact, Paul comes to us in 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, and he says, pray without ceasing. What is he saying? He's saying that you and I need to get to the point where we are moving through our lives with a consciousness of the presence of God that is so real to us that we just continually talk. So you can pray if you go for a walk in your neighborhood. You can pray as you drive your kids to school or just drive yourself around in the car. You can pray at the beginning of a meeting. You can pray in an elevator. You can pray anywhere. And God encourages you to pray and continually have a conversation with Him ongoing all of the time. However, there need also to be regular times where it's you and the Lord in your closet. I'll put that in quotes because I don't know exactly where that is for you. For me, it's my office. So last week we learned that we are to pray, and we learned a bit about where to pray, and then, and this was probably the most memorable part of the deal, the Lord spoke to us a little bit about how to pray, and specifically what he said is, says is, is when you pray, what you have to say needs to be real. It just, it's got to be real, and we talked about that. You know, we all sit down at the dinner table with our family, and what do we say, all of us, every time? Dear Lord, thank you for this day. And I paused and said, okay, let's say that God, who ostensibly you're talking to at that moment, breaks into that conversation and goes, hey, whoa, hey, hey, hang on a second here, wait a minute. Are you really thankful because I've been moving through the whole day with you and I'm not feeling a whole lot of thankfulness coming off of you. So are you really thankful or is that just the way you start your prayer to me every time you pray? In other words, is that something you actually mean or is that just something you say? So what is it? Dear God, thank you for this day. Don't interrupt me. The food's getting cold. By the way, bless this food. Okay, come on. Again, if you're the Lord. Oh, okay, Tom, so you mean the supersized Big Mac value meal with the double two for one extra pie, extra apple pie, apple pie, and this big huge thing that you call Diet Coke, but it's really like this chemical-filled drink that can peel the copper off of a penny. That's what you want me to bless? Is that actually something you mean, or is that just something you say? Lord, don't interrupt me. My fries are getting cold. I mean, truthfully, most of the time, just something I say. I know I'm supposed to say something, and then be with me. We talked about that one, too. Even though the Lord's Word teaches that He is 100% present absolutely all of the time, that there's nowhere we can go to get away from His presence, that He inhabits us by His Spirit as believers in Christ, He lives within us. I'm thinking, be with me? Done. I'm not saying you can't pray those things. I am saying, examine your prayer life and ask yourself when I say this, is it real? Is it real? I can't tell you how many people came up to me this week and said, man, you destroyed my prayer life with that message. <laughs> and I destroyed my own too, by the way, you know, which I reassured them with. But praise the Lord. Seriously. Prayer is not a trivial thing. It's not a little thing. It's not something that where we throw God a bone, everyone, oh, well, I no, I'm supposed to do it, so thank you for this day. Bless this food. Be with us. Amen. Now, let's you know, Seriously? This is the God of the heavens. It's a significant thing, and we need to wake up to how significant it really is. We need to hear the word of our Lord on this topic and then begin to live it. So we learned that we are to pray. We learned a bit about where to pray. We talked somewhat about how to pray. And then, and this was really good, we talked about what to pray. And I say it was really good because... The Lord took away three-fourths of what we ordinarily say, so then the next question was, well, all right, but what am I supposed to say? I mean, what do I pray about, and what was the answer to that? Jesus came to us with the Lord's prayer. That was His answer. He's saying, all right, you want to know what to pray about? Just work your way through this thing. It's not a prayer that we're supposed to all say together and recite by memory. It's a good thing to do that because it drills it into your memory. But what it is is a prioritized list of topics That the Lord God gives to us in a very particular order that is to be respected. It's hooks, if you will, upon which we can then come and we can put our real thoughts, our real words, our real meditations, our real conversation with the Lord our God. You know, it begins, our Father. Stop. That's a topic. That's a hook. That's a place to pause. That's something to talk to the Lord about. You have a Father. And then, in heaven... Okay, so now he's a perfect father. And oh, by the way, when God is pictured in heaven, he's pictured on the throne. So now he is the absolute emperor and king. There's some conversation that happens there. There are some implications that happen there. Then what does he say? Thy kingdom come. Notice that nowhere in that prayer does he say, my kingdom come. My kingdom, as an aside, is not even in the prayer at all. There is no hook that says, Tom's kingdom. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about your kingdom. We're not here to build kingdoms. We're here to build his kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? God, what does that look like in my life? Lord, what is the next little bit of territory or maybe big bit of territory in my heart that you want to take for your kingdom? How does your kingdom get expressed through me today? And so forth. Give us this day our daily bread. So now I'm not even praying about me when I finally get to the me stuff. It's it's not me, it's a we. It's not my, it's us. Follow? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Do you hear the topics, the hooks? And deliver us from evil. So last week, that's where we left off. We got to the end of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew. And today, what I want to do is I want to pick it up at the end of the Lord's Prayer, but in the Gospel of Luke, which, again is Luke 11. And it's where Jesus kind of picks up this conversation. And today what he's going to talk to us is about the attitude that we need to bring with us when we come to God in prayer. And the attitude that he is emphatically saying we need to bring with us when we come to God in prayer is an attitude of expectancy. It is an attitude that when we hit our knees and we come before our father that says, my father is going to hear me when I pray and he's going to answer. And he's going to give me something good. Now, it might not be, as we'll see, what I ask for because the reality is I don't always know what's good, but he's going to give me something good. There's an expectancy. There's an anticipation to that. And so having concluded his teaching on the Lord's Prayer, Luke tells us that Jesus then says this, Luke 11, beginning in verse 5, it says, And Jesus said to them, meaning to these guys to whom he's just given this prioritized list of topics that we know of as the Lord's Prayer, he says, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him? Now, This is a very difficult parable. I want to tell you that up front. Scholars differ on how to interpret this parable, but I think the best understanding of at least what's happening thus far in this story is that you have a sleeping man who is awakened dead center in the middle of the night, and he's awakened by a guy who really should have waited until morning to come looking for bread. So the idea is, and you've got to get this to understand the parable, he is rudely awakened. It's rude that this man awakens him in the middle of the night, but I also think it's significant what it is that he comes looking for in the middle of the night, which again is bread, bread significant. Bread is, in fact, is one of the very things that the Lord Christ in the Lord's Prayer has just instructed these guys and you and I to pray for. Give us this day our daily, here it is, bread. And that obviously includes the physical needs for the day, okay? Okay. But as I thought about that this week, I thought, you know, I wonder if it isn't more than that. Give us this day our daily bread. See, one of the problems that I have is when I think about bread, I think about Jesus. And he invites us to think about him. He says, I am the bread of life, doesn't he? And I think about him for that reason, but I think about him also because I just think about what bread has to endure, I'll put that in quotes, before it can arrive physically in a state in which it is then capable of being eaten and of giving us life. So what is that? Well, it involves a cutting off, doesn't it? The wheat has to be cut down. It's cut off from its life source. Sorry, I know I see Jesus around every corner, which I personally think is good. But that makes me think about Isaiah, who says he was cut off from the land of the living, that we might have life. So then what else? Well, the wheat from which the bread is made then needs to be crushed. Uh Uh-oh. He was crushed for our iniquities, wasn't he? Well, that's Isaiah 2. What happens next? Well, it has to endure fire and great heat in the baking process before it can arrive at the state that we can then eat it and from it receive life. Well, fire and heat are what? They're emblems of judgment all the way through the Bible, which also tells us that the Lord Christ endured the fiery judgment of the cross, if you will, for me and for you, for the forgiveness of our sins. And then, of course, if it's leavened bread, what does it do? It rises. Even as our Lord arose. And it is in its risen state that we eat it and receive from it life. So I think in teaching us to pray, you know, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus is teaching us to pray for far more than just our daily physical needs. I think he's teaching us to pray also for our daily spiritual needs. He's coming to you and to me as those who profess to be followers of the Lord, and he is saying, hey, you know what? You and I have a daily need for Jesus. We have a daily need for his gospel. It's not a one-time event where we confess our sins and Jesus says, okay, you're done. You know, I died on the cross for you. You're forgiven. The gospel is an everyday thing. I sin every day. I don't know about you. I, I really, I do multiple times. Ask my wife, and so do you. Ask yours. Your kids will help you out with this. It's one of the graces of having children. I need His forgiveness every day. I need His wisdom every day. I need His power every day. I will tell you, if I'm going to be joyful, guess where I need to get it. I need it from Him. I need His grace. I need His guidance. I was having lunch with somebody this past Wednesday, and we were just talking about ministry and, you know, all kinds of different things and leadership and whatever. And um, I told them, I said, you know, ministry is sort of God's grace for me and for a couple of reasons. One is because it forces me every single week to deeply dive into the Word of God. That's a grace to me. That's a wonderful thing that I get to do every single week. But I'll tell you why else it's a grace to me. It it is completely unmasking to be the pastor of a church because at some point you come face-to-face with the reality that you can't do it. And I was talking to him about that, and I said, you know, I mean, I've been doing this almost 10 years now, and I came out of the law profession, which I did for almost 10 years, and I said, you know, I, I think looking back on it now, and it was sort of like I'm having this realization as I'm having this conversation, which was kind of cool, but But anyway, I said, I think as I look back on it now that I I came into this position kind of saying, well, yeah, you know, the Lord's going to have to do it. But the reality is I had never really had to rely on the Lord to do anything. I had never had to ask him for much, if anything at all, maybe forgiveness. Okay, yeah, and that's big. But I'd always been able to do it, very self-sufficient, just like a whole lot of you. And I said, what ministry has brought me face to face with is I just can't do it. And it literally puts me on my knees every day, where I look at all of the opportunity and all of the things going on right now and all of the ways that God is blessing us as a people, as a church, as a family that ramp up a schedule that I look at and go, nope, I don't know how that's going to happen. And then I get to watch God make it happen. And I want to tell you today, that is not unique to me. If you are a follower of Christ, the sooner you realize that you can't do this, the better it is. Give us this day our daily bread. I need that. So Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for don't miss this, a friend of mine has just arrived on a journey, so he's shown up at my house and I don't have any food for him and he's starving. He's hungry and I have nothing to set before him and so even though it's the middle of the night, oh friend, that I'm waking up rudely in the middle of the night and it's rude for me to wake you up, oh friend, in the middle of the night, violates all the conventions of the day and sacrifices perhaps my reputation, I'm still going to wake you up. And again, he's doing it rudely. That's an important part of the story. We'll get to that in a minute. But I I also kind of want to give this guy some credit. I mean, I, I love the fact that he is so moved by the hunger of this traveler that he's willing to sacrifice his reputation, that he's willing to do what was unacceptable, that he's not willing to wait, but he's willing to wake the sleeping man. And I say that because that stands as a challenge to every single one of us. The Bible teaches us, I think unequivocally, that we cannot claim to love God on the one hand and completely ignore people and their needs on the other. You can't ignore your brother. can't do it. I think the reality is that if you and I are not growing in a deep sense of the need for the people and God's world a sense that begins to grip us and even calls us to sacrifice when necessary to meet it, then we need to seriously step back and question whether we are growing in a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, at all. People matter to God, and they need to matter to us. And if our hearts are truly becoming more like His heart, if our lives and the ethic and the priority and the values of our lives are really becoming more like his life and the ethic and the priorities and the values of his life, well, then we're going to start caring about what he cares about. And if you follow Jesus around and you're truly following him, what did he do everywhere he went? Well, he fed these people and he healed these people and he did this for these people and he he spoke the truth. And I know what it's like to look at the needs of other people at times and to just be completely overwhelmed, really to be kind of like this guy, you know, who has this hungry guy show up in the middle of the night and to recognize immediately, hey, you know what? I have nothing to give you. (laughs) I think we're all familiar with that. But see, part of the beauty of following Jesus and part of the beauty of prayer is that through faith in Christ, we come to a God who, first of all, never sleeps, ever who secondly says, come to me in prayer. Like, I'm, I'm waiting for you to come. This is going to be great. When you show up, I'm already. Hey, yes, guess what? When you show up, you don't have to take a number. We don't have to need an appointment. I don't have to schedule a time with you. I'm infinite. You have my 100% attention. And who has every resource necessary to meet every need that there is. That's a major statement. That's a big deal. And so, in encouraging us to pray expectantly, Jesus says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he, meaning this guy who has just been rudely awakened, will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. He's not liking the fact that he's been awakened rudely in the middle of the night, and neither would you. I mentioned in the first service that this reminds me of a time when I was living in my fraternity house, which doesn't need a lot of explanation probably, and I had an eight o'clock in the morning test, and one of my brothers, I'll put that in quotes too, came in the house, and he'd been out, you know, it's like four, and he's shouting and running and beating on everybody's door, and the story ends with me literally chasing him down the hallway into his room. You don't like to be wakened in the middle of the night, do you? and neither does this guy. That's part of the point. It's rude what's happening to him. And he expresses that frustration, it seems. He says, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, though the sleeper, he, the sleeper, will not get up and... Or, will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his, this rude man's impudence, his shamelessness, he, the rudely awakened man, will, and eventually is the point, rise and give him what? Whatever he needs. Now, maybe he's just going to give him whatever he needs to shut him up and move him on so he can go back to bed, but but what's the point of the parable? Because that's where the parable ends. The point is that if this rudely awakened man will get up in the middle of the night, at least eventually, and give to his friend whatever he needs, then what do you think your heavenly Father, who longs to spend time with you, never sleeps, you cannot rudely awaken him, who has inexhaustible resources, will do for you? Pray expectantly. Come with an attitude that says, hey, you know what? My father is not going to be upset with me in the middle of the night. He's not going to chase me down the hallway. And he's going to give me what I need. What I need. And just in case we miss it, Jesus then adds this in verse 9. He says, and I tell you, this is about to be some of your new favorite verse right here. You ready? I tell you, ask and it what? It's a great word. It will be given to you. Seek and you, again, will find. Knock and it will be opened. You're getting excited. For everyone, oh, that's awesome, who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. But before you get too excited about this, before you start writing it down on a three by five card and underlining the will and putting, you know, smiley faces by each one and getting all jazzed and taping them up all over the place, before you do that, understand Jesus is not finished yet. And yet we want to stop him there, don't we? We want to kind of step in and go, Lord, would you please just time out right there, just end the whole teaching right, because I don't want you to mess this up. He's going to mess this up in a second from our perspective, but what I want you to understand is that the prayer and what he's saying here about prayer is about to get better, not worse. What he says next qualifies it and makes it sweeter. He goes on and he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, so he asks for a good thing, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, give him a bad thing? Obviously, none of us. Or if he, this son of yours, asks for an egg, again, a good thing, we'll give him a scorpion, you'll give him a bad thing, of course you won't do that. And so then Jesus says this, now brace yourself, it's good that you're seated. He says, if you then, who are, and I want us actually to say the word, so I'm going to reread that and just say it out loud, it's good for you. If you then, who are? Kind of came chokingly out of your throat, didn't it? (laughs) It's not the way we see ourselves until we see ourselves in comparison with him. And that's the comparison Jesus is making. What father among you? You see? And now he's going to say, what do you think the heavenly father will do? And compared to him, we're not so good. Think of the thoughts that you have said, things that have flashed through your mind or maybe they stuck there that are actually horrifying. Think of the things that you have said. Some of the largest regrets, if not the largest regrets we have in life, come out of our mouth, which come out of our heart. Uh Uh-oh. Think of the places you've been and the things that you've done. Think of them for a moment, and then come back to this and agree with Jesus in His description, because it's very, very accurate, albeit a bit blunt. He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give what kind of gifts, because this is the key, good gifts to your children, here we go, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, the consummate gift, the best gift to those who ask Him? He's saying, look, if you who are evil, you earthly fathers, earthly parents, know how to give good gifts to your kids... Then can you imagine the kind of gifts that the perfect Heavenly Father, who has no limitations on resources, has stored up and would love to give you? If you would just come and ask for it, my goodness, he will give you the Holy Spirit who is the very best of gifts. Surely then he will not deny you anything less So what is Jesus saying? Well, He's not saying, look, ask for whatever you want, and God's going to give it to you. Seek whatever you want to find, and God will make sure you find it. Knock on whatever door you think is a good idea to knock on, and God is now obligated to come along and kick it down for you. And He's not saying that because that would not be good. And God only gives good gifts. See, the reality is that in our limited wisdom, from our limited perspective, and quite frankly, from our sinful, selfish nature, as a result of all of those things and a hundred other things that are not good in each one of us, we oftentimes don't know what a good gift is. We come to God thinking we're asking for a fish, and we're asking for a serpent. Hey, Lord, I'd like an egg, you know, a good thing? God's looking at it going, that's not an egg, man, that's a scorpion. We come to our Heavenly Father who is not similarly limited in wisdom, in vision, in capacity, in perception, in an ability to analyze our lives in light of everything and His eternal plans for us and to establish what is really good, and who reserves, and we should praise and worship Him for this, the right to answer our prayer, but the prayer that we should have prayed. He gives the good gifts, guys, and He's loaded up waiting for us to ask for them. Ask and it will be given to you. Not according to your specifications every time, but a good thing will come. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks It will be opened. Jesus says, you are to pray. He tells us a bit about where to pray. He tells us how to pray. He tells us what to pray. And then in this passage, he comes and says, now, here's the attitude. Are you ready? When you come to God in prayer, pray expectantly. Come to him in faith saying, this is my heavenly father, and he is will give me that which is truly good. Amen. Our Lord, we do thank you for your word and your teaching on this topic of prayer, on this fundamental or basic practice of following Christ, and I pray, Lord, that we will take it to heart this morning. God, I pray that you will use this season at this church to make us a praying people, to revive our faith in the power of prayer and in the God of prayer, to draw us relationally to you through real conversation. God, I pray that as we take these practical lessons and we seek in faith to put them into practice in our lives, that that we will know that we're meeting with you, that we will know that you're hearing that we will see your answers and that you will prepare our hearts to receive them from you as good. God, we praise you as our Father in heaven. And we ask, Lord, that through this series of messages on prayer, we might come to know you better and to value your kingdom and to trust you for all our needs. We pray these things In Jesus' name and for His glory, amen.